For this episode, I am doing a repeat from Season 9, and I thought this episode would be particularly pertinent to play following our last episode, which was on the false prophet of government. And I think it's going to be the perfect episode because it explores the real-world rationale of a conservative Christian embroiled in moral compromise in his governmental position. It's going to show you straight from the horse's mouth how Christians come to justify and rationalize evil as good, and how the kingdoms of the earth often come to garner unwavering Christian allegiance over the uncompromising kingdom of God. In this episode, I will uncover consequentialism, which is a pet issue of mine that you can hear a lot more about if you listen to season two of this podcast. This is going to be a good episode here to tuck away and maybe re-listen again uh, in just a little bit when we start to dig into morality and truth, not too, too long from now. The episode is going to go especially well with our discussion of Augustine's work called On Lying, which is set to be episode 55 or so in this season. Now, as I didn't create this episode specifically for this season on propaganda and truth, I want to give you a few things to listen out for and highlight before we begin the episode, since I'm not able to really pull those things out there since it wasn't directed at uh, this particular topic. Nevertheless, it goes hand-in-hand with it. First, I want you to listen out for one of the justifications that uh, there's given for participation in evil. Uh, James Olson, the the main character here, uh, the the individual who's going to be justifying his governmental service, is going to give you a number of justifications for why he chose what he did and why he was able to continue, in his mind, being a good Christian and a good American. Now, one of the reasons uh, that he thinks it's important to keep us, meaning Americans, safe at all costs, or most costs, um, is specifically because he's protecting against the threat of totalitarianism and Marxism. Now, this idea of Marxism has been a bugaboo for a long, long time. As, as far as I was able to find, it was first initiated at least in the late 1800s, not very long after Marx at all, uh, against Native Americans who weren't working like good little slaves, right? They were farming their parcels of land, and some of them weren't too happy about that, uh, standing bare being very representative of this. And you can go look up Standing Bear and his Supreme Court case and all that stuff, and it's really fascinating. But these Native Americans, who had mostly, probably not, ever heard of Marx, uh, is they're, they're labeled Marxists because they won't comply with uh, changing their whole way of life and living within the confines of what the U.S. government dictates they should. Because they wouldn't accept their lot in life and change their cultural practice, they were Marxists, and they threatened the good of the nation. This this thing that uh, James Olson is going to say, we can't have a threat to our nation. Of course, the good of the nation here meant that the U.S., uh, and really meaning the white landowners, could take land and dispose of Native Americans unimpeded. What's really interesting is that as you go through history, you're going to find this this bugaboo of Marxism uh, rise again and again and again. It happened when laborers protested about working conditions and fair wages in the late 1800s through the, the early 1900s. It happened when we had influxes of immigrants and a culture that became more focused on war with sedition laws targeting communists, among other groups. 
It happened during the civil rights era when blacks were seeking equal rights. Right? Martin Luther King Jr. was a Marxist, uh, and then he was called such, and, and that wasn't just a defining term. That was something that, uh, that lumped him into this, this great evil. So just think about that. Oppressed Native Americans who were stolen from, ex- the exploited working and lower classes, black Americans during the heyday of lynching, immigrants, which included many World War II Jews who were turned away by the alien and sedition laws. I mean, surely you can see a common theme here, right? Olson is going to justify tyrannical acts of state, like torture, kidnapping, assassinations, and laws like the Patriot Act, because those things protect against totalitarianism and Marxism. When you throw in U.S. actions outside of the borders of the United States, uh, all the coups, the assassinations, the invasions that it's run around the world, you can see that what Olson ends up doing is actually defining the evil of totalitarianism as good because it's his brand of totalitarianism and it protects his interests and his people, his group. Now that right there highlights not only a major problem with consequentialism, that you can always redefine an evil as good, but also a major area of propaganda throughout U.S. history, the bugaboo of Marxism. Sure, we could discuss how Marxism has done great evil in countries around the world, how it's been wielded horrendously, and whether or not it could even ever lead to good things. That, that's a different discussion, though. But Marxism, at least in the States, has often been at the forefront of fighting for the oppressed groups who were being exploited by a totalitarian government. Marxism was usually on the side of justice in U.S. history. Now, the second thing I want you to prepare for is for the moral compass that we're going to uncover in this episode. This is going to be really important for when we get into discussions of morality and whether or not we can justify an evil, like lying, for some perceived greater good. I think this episode, Olson really tips his hand as to how morality works for a consequentialistic nationalist. And that's really what I think he is. He's, he would say he's not, right? but he is. Now, there's a point at which Olson justifies waterboarding and torture and says that we shouldn't judge guys making these tough decisions because they're trying to keep us safe. And when they were doing these things, they weren't explicitly illegal. I mean, we'd probably argue that they were, but there was enough gray that they could uh, deceive themselves or or say that that they weren't really doing illegal things because they skirted the line of legality. But then Olson says something to the extent that, you know, if if they didn't want us to do this, if Obama didn't want us uh, want us to do this, then you know, don't criticize us for for skirting legality and and doing stuff to keep people safe. Just tell us not to do it. Say it's not legal anymore, and we won't do it. Fine, tell us, and we won't cross the line. Now that just blew me away. I mean, Olson is saying that if the president of the United States took the means of torture off the table. He would submit to that restriction even if he personally thought that he could bring a greater good about by implementing it. I mean, WTF. As a Christian, if God has taken something off the table like lying, torturing, and killing enemies, or whatever else, ought we not to adhere to that even more so than if the president takes it off? If God takes something off his list and the president doesn't take it off his list— Ought we to say, well, you know, the president didn't take it off, so I guess it's still okay to do. I can justify it as good. 
Why in the world is Olson taking so much of his time to justify means that God has taken off the table while being so quick to comport with what the president restricts, or at least give lip service to how much he would value it if the president took it off the table? I think it's because Olson shows us that the earthly kingdom truly does come before God's kingdom. He can try to explain himself away all he wants, but that's just what it boils down to, and quite clearly so. Now, there's one quote that Olson brings up, which I think highlights this so succinctly. He quotes Nathan Hale um, when he says, Every kind of service necessary to the public good becomes honorable by being necessary. So, if it's a service that does good for the public, then it's necessary, and if necessary, therefore it's honorable. Now, the irony of using this quote after railing against the threat of Marxism is awfully ironic. Doesn't Marxism focus on the group? And doesn't Marxism justify all that it does based on the necessity for the good of the group? Olson is no less socially oriented and totalitarian than the Marxist that he thinks he's fighting against. But that's how consequentialism always plays out, as does the polarization of propaganda. Being discipled in the kingdom of God is meant to split that difference. I don't have allegiance to any state, to any party, to any system, to any outcome. My allegiance is to a good God whose will is for me to live out through good means and leave the ends in his hands. I'll defend this position more in our next section, but for now, just observe how evil is justified here and how the greatest evils are often justified on behalf of one's nation. are starting to draw our season on government to a close, which feels really good to me. But I feel like even though I've made a pretty compelling case for how Christians should view government, that this betrothal to government, uh, this betrothal to pragmatic systems, is is so ingrained in us that um, I just feel like I've emphasized it so much that maybe listeners are going to think that what I'm saying is hyperbole. I can hear a lot of people saying right now, sure, because humans are fallen, all systems are going to have flaws, but we don't have to assent to moral compromise when participating in government. I get that. I, I understand that pushback. Um, but yeah, that's, that's extremely idealistic. And you know, this coming from this, the exact same people, who speak of pacifists as being idealists. Nevertheless, I understand that that I am going to have to deal with this kind of pushback, people who think this kind of thing. I've made a, a very comprehensive case um, this season, about as comprehensive as, as I can make it at this point. Um, ne- but I don't think that there's, there's anything as powerful as maybe getting information straight from the source. So I can argue philosophically, theologically, all that I want, but until you kind of are able to, to see things in action straight from the horse's mouth, it, it's not going to be nearly as meaningful. So conveniently for me this season, I came across something just the other day 
which I think is going to help you see that the criticism that I have levied this season so far, and, and a lot of Christian anarchists levy, this idea that um, you know moral compromise is horrendous and inevitable when you join government, um, I, I think that I came across something that is going to show you from the real world that this isn't hyperbole, but it's absolutely 100% accurate and realistic. The other day, I came across an interview done by Al Mohler, who is a major player in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest, I think, Protestant denomination in the States at this point, um, and is the the second largest Christian denomination um, in the States, next to the Catholic Church, which is not Protestant, of course. So Moeller and the SBC are very representative of evangelicalism and Protestantism in the States. In, uh, in this particular interview, which is entitled Spycraft and Soulcraft, Moeller interviews James M. Olson. And Olson is a man who is a Christian, along with his wife, and both of them served in the CIA for a number of years. Moeller spends a lot of the interview discussing with Olson what some of the big moral issues were that he had to deal with and how Olson worked through those ideas as a Christian. Um, the interview is, is a goldmine in terms of uncovering so much of, of what we've talked about this season in regard to the way that government calls Christians to moral compromise, as well as revealing the consequentialism that we've talked about, I mean, in a whole season, as well as through lots and lots of different episodes. So I'll put a link to the interview in the show notes, and um, I'll be, because I'll be jumping around from quote to quote, and you might like to see where it is in the context of the whole interview. I'll also be discussing Olson's book a little bit because after I heard this interview, I uh, I definitely went and and read his book called Fair Play, and we'll we'll be discussing a bit of his book as well. So let's jump in. To set the stage for uh, the first extended quote from uh, Olson and Moeller, when I was reading Olson's book, um, one of the one of the first things that stuck out to me was, um, and this is not a direct quote, but uh, Olson said that like he lied, cheated, and stole every day of his career, uh, which is probably a little bit hyperbolic, but. Maybe not really. He probably did at least one of those things every day of his career, um, you know, because you're participating in, in lies all the time. And this harkens back to an interview I did with uh, with Zach Johnson this season, where he was talking about, hey, look, you you get into other moral issues too, which he found because when he declared that he was uh, a conscientious objector, but he's in the Air Force, and he's like, well, they they tried to move me around to some different positions, but he's like. You know the the position I found myself in. It's like, well, um, I'm get, for counterintelligence. I'm part of our job is we have to figure out how do we lie to our allies and our enemies. We don't want our allies to know our full strength, but we want them to know a little bit, and we don't want our enemies to know things. So now my job is just lying all the time. So how do you how do you deal with that as a Christian? So Olson is uh, he's going to come face to face with this, and of course Olson is going to have a little bit different of a take than I would or uh, Zach Johnson had. Uh, and, and Olson is going to essentially um, justify this. He's going to see 
that um, absolute morality, or he refers to veritatis splendor, I think is what he calls it, uh, which is kind of some Catholic teaching on um, at least certain certain aspects of absolute morality. And he's going to say, look, that's that's just idealistic because um, it doesn't it doesn't protect you. It doesn't get you the results that you want. Yet he he'll deny consequentialism, as as I think you'll see in one of the quotes. So um, let, let's just get into um, his his interview here. Let me read what he says. So this is first of all from Al Mohler. Quote. You acknowledge in both of your books that spycraft or espionage will invoke some serious moral questions. And in your first book, Fair Play, The Moral Dilemmas of Spying, you actually set out so many of these explicitly, and I think with a lot of intellectual honesty. One of the things that you acknowledge is that it comes down to whether or not one will do spycraft or not. You write, I will concede that spying is a dirty business, but my question is this, what's the alternative? No intelligence? Should we abstain from lying, cheating, deceiving, and manipulating, and do without the intelligence they produce? Should we unilaterally discontinue espionage and covert action operations overseas? Should we put all our trust in overt sources of information, diplomacy, and the peaceful arts and hope our enemies will not take advantage of us? Is that the real world? Would that be safe? Well, you raise that question. End quote. So Olson's going to reply to that, right? Direct quote from his book. He's like, how, how do we avoid doing all these bad things? Because if we didn't do these bad things, these things that people deem bad, um, it wouldn't be good for national security. So here's Olson's reply. I did raise the question. It is something I've thought a lot about because my life was a paradox in many ways. Because on one hand, the most important things to me in my life were my country, my family, my honor, and my faith. But on the other hand, I spent my entire CIA career lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, deceiving. So that's the issue that I wanted to deal with. Can those two points be reconciled? Can a man of faith conduct himself in such a way that he is engaging in those things? When Meredith and I, my wife, was also in the CIA, by the way, when we launched into this career, we had to make an upfront racialization. We had to say, all right, as people of faith, we know that we will be doing things we would not ordinarily be doing, the lying and cheating and so forth, but we sincerely believe that we're doing these things for a greater good, for the legitimate defense of our country. And I can tell you that throughout our career, even though we engaged in some things that sometimes bordered on, we did not see any conflict between what we were doing and our faith or our moral code. We devoted our lives, Dr. Moeller, to protecting our country against totalitarian, evil, oppressive, atheistic communism, and we thought that we were on the right side of that. And so, we had no qualms about doing what we had to do for our country. If we're going to defend our country against the evils that are out there, we can't go out there with our hands tied behind our back. We've got to fight tough. And that's the issue. How tough is too tough? When do we cross the line? When do we betray those values that we're fighting so hard to defend? When do we become them? And that's kind of the point that we had to discuss throughout the book. Yes, I think that's accurate. That's the way I saw it. And I do believe that the just war theory does apply to us in intelligence community. If it could be morally acceptable, as Aquinas said, to kill in legitimate defense of our country, it seems to me that it should be morally acceptable as well to lie, cheat, steal, 
manipulate course and legitimate defense of our country. Okay, let's pause here. So this this brings to mind a couple things. I mean, number one, again, Olson is going to say that, uh, and I'm sorry, but before I I kind of start attacking Olson, I do want to say something positive first. I I do appreciate how Olson is very open and upfront about his moral reasoning. I disagree with him 100%, but um, I like that he does not compartmentalize uh, things, but he admits what his morality um, produces or, or w- what his reasoning is. Because I and, and I think part of that is because he was thrust into a situation where he does value his faith, but he also does value um, protection. And, and I don't think he's, he's just purely self-interested trying to protect himself. I, I really do think he's trying to protect um, the people of the United States and the lifestyle that we have here. Like he's trying to protect our country. I just think that um, his moral system, I mean, it undermines the moral, Christian morality and it also undermines the Christian kingdom, this idea that you know we're a borderless nation and so he's willing to take advantage of, of other people just because they're in a different border. Um, and, and that's throwing off this Christian ideal of borderless nations and it's objectifying people. So I, I really disagree with it. But I appreciate that he he takes it head on, and uh, a lot of the the conservative Christians here stateside, they're not going to do that. They're gonna um, you know dismiss and say, well, no, you know, and they're they're just gonna obfusc- obfuscate or whatever you call it. And I like that he he's honest, he's open, he's upfront, um, because we can have a conversation where we disagree and we we battle that out. So I appreciate that about him. Um, so to what he said, I mean, first of all, he's going to say that he's not a consequentialist, but 100, I don't know how you say you're not when you say, you know, what's the alternative, um, if I don't do these things and that that's a consequentialist ethic. He's saying I have to do these things because they work. He also uses the term, you know, it's the greater good. Well, that's, that's a consequentialist ethic right there. When you, when you see words, greater good, that's ends justifying the means, Right. I'm willing to do a bad thing so that good things may come. A, a better thing, in my perception, may come. Right? He's assuming his perception um, justifies him to do these bad things, but you know, somebody in a different country, their perception doesn't justify them to do the same things back to us. And then uh, another tip-off here is going to be where um, you know he talks about Aquinas' just war theory. And yeah, I have problems with that too. So I think I think if you base something off of Aquinas's just war theory, you've got you've got problems. But so let, let's just let's just explore what he says. He says, you know, according to Aquinas's just war theory, it's okay to um, kill in defense of our country. So it should be morally acceptable as well to lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, coerce, and legitimate defense of our country. And I I think Olson is right, and that's a problem with like Aquinas. If I can kill somebody for my country, why can't I lie to somebody for my country, right? Why can't I steal, manipulate, course, um, manipulate, deceive, whatever? Why can't I cheat? I should be able to, right? My problem with Olson's list is I assume Olson would say, um, <laughs> if I were to ask Olson, and again, this is speculation, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what he would say. Um, okay, Olson. Uh, let's see. 
would you ever James Bond it with some other woman um, for the better, for, for the greater good of your country? You can save a couple thousand lives, so go, uh, go be unfaithful to your wife. You know, it's part of the spy game. And I think you draw the line there. No, 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 you can't fornicate. You can't commit adultery for, for the course of um, your country, even if that saved thousands of lives. There's, um, when, when you get into some of his explicit um, scenarios in his book, one of the ones that stuck out to me, it was, it was so interesting, like how, how people justified doing certain actions in spycraft, but not others, and how um, they kind of changed back and forth. It, it's, it's a really good book because he gives you lots of real life scenarios, and, and you get to hear a lot of different people react to those scenarios, and um, it's just fascinating. But one of the ones that I think everybody was unanimous on um, was, no, it's not okay to um, obtain a child prostitute, an underage girl, for, um, for somebody, like for a diplomat that you're trying to court. It's, it's not okay to do that. Um, and you're kind of like, well, Olson, if I, if I can kill somebody, if I can um, lie to somebody, if I can cheat or steal... Why would why would obtaining one child prostitute for this diplomat that maybe I save thousands of lives? What's one child prostitute to thousands of lives? Sure, the child prostitute thing that's terrible. I hate that. It's horrible. But that's one life that you're sacrificing, and you're not even sacrificing your life. You're just sacrificing one traumatic experience, so I can save thousands of lives. Why? Like his his moral. His moral boundaries are just like he just he doesn't realize it, but he's he's just picking and choosing the things that he doesn't think are big deals, and um, he he's choosing where he can compromise and and where he can't, and it's arbitrary because there are other scenarios where obtaining a an older prostitute, everybody's like, oh yeah yeah that that would be fine as long as she's not exploited, you know, go ahead and obtain her. Well, what would happen if if uh, Olson was in a different country, a country where you know you've got a twelve year old girl, but there there's no such thing as as um, child uh, underage sexuality, and you could obtain it legally, and it's not against their like would their intelligence agency, if there were Christians there, they might be okay with with procuring an underage girl according to. Uh, to Olson's moral ideology if you're a Christian in that culture. So what you find is when you depart from, from objective morality, you end up getting this, this subjective morality where um, it, it doesn't make sense why you compromise on some things and not others. It's just, it's arbitrary, it's subjective. And this harkens back to Augustine's you know, uh, books, his works. We did some episodes on lying and against lying. And uh, when Augustine has this guy come to him and say, "Hey, look, can I can I lie to uh, to these um, these heretics to try to entrap them and catch them in their their heretical acts?" And Augustine's like, "No, you can't do that. Um, that's against the character of God." He's like, "You wouldn't go fornicate with them to say, well, I can catch a heretic if I fornicate with them. So if you can't fornicate with them, you don't lie." Uh, and and um, I mean, it's the, it's the same thing here. I think Augustine's argument would would hold. 
Now, I think Augustine then is inconsistent with, with his, his whole killing, you know, his, his justification of killing. Nevertheless, even there, Augustine could say, well, killing isn't inherently wrong. It's not something that's against the character of God, whereas lying would be. I definitely recommend you go back and listen to some of those episodes, uh, as well as the season on consequentialism, to kind of um, get more of an idea of what what problems I think Olson has going on here. All right, let's, so let's get into uh, the next quote that I'm going to have, uh, where Al Mohler uh, asks a question. Mohler says, I agree that spycraft is an honorable thing to do, but you're not merely saying that the end justifies the means. And Olson replies, well, it's close, and I don't want to be labeled a utilitarian, but a lot of the means that we use... Uh, let's take some examples. Targeted killings, waterboarding, blackmail, seduction are ugly things in the abstract, but have they saved lives? Have they been for a greater good? By waterboarding Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, how many American lives did we save? How many terrorist attacks did we thwart? By killing Osama bin Laden, assassinating him extrajudicially, didn't we in effect render justice? Didn't we prevent anything that he was planning to do in the future? Now, a lot of people objected to those acts, and I understand why. But as I point out in the book, and you cited that, what if we had not engaged in those activities? What if we'd refrained from collecting that intelligence? Where would we be? And I think that's an unacceptable alternative. I believe that when we go out there, we've got to have the tools at our disposal to match the evil forces that we're fighting against. So, Olson doesn't want to be called a utilitarian, but he's a utilitarian. <laughs> I mean, I just, there's, there's absolutely no escaping it. Now, the, again, I, I appreciate his, his candidness, but um, it, that's just what it is. He's a consequentialist. He's a utilitarian. And the, the goal of this episode isn't to bash uh, James Olson. The goal is to say, like, Olson is just telling you what the reality of government is. You go into government, this is what you do. The ends justify the means. Like, your job in government is to figure out uh, how far can I morally compromise to get the greatest good out of this? Um, because moral compromises are required. Now, Olson tries to justify those and say, well, they were actually good things because it accomplished a, a better thing. The, the result was better then the act was bad. But that's what government is. That, that's what it is. This is reality, straight from the horse's mouth. I want to read you just uh, one more quote that kind of gets at this, uh, this um, you know, consequentialism, utilitarianism aspect, and, and kind of cement that in and then move on to uh, a final part. So here's a quote. It's really unfair after the fact, I think, for people sitting back in Washington to say, you went too far. You should not have kidnapped that person. You should not have waterboarded that person. Because it's easy to say, and our people were doing this with the best of intentions, waterboarding is nasty. I hate the fact that we had to do it, but it's easy to take the moral high ground and say, we're not going to do that. And of course, the Obama administration decreed that we would not do it anymore. That's fine. Tell us we won't cross the line, but we have to realize that when we refrain from activities like that 
And I would contend, as my good friend and colleague Jose Rodriguez wrote in his book, Hard Measures, that waterboarding these three people did save lives. And these people were not permanently harmed, the ones who were waterboarded. And so that's kind of a horrible calculus that you have to make weighing the lesser of evils. But I take the position that in an extreme case, with preferably judicial oversight, we should not take enhanced interrogation off the table. If we have an imminent threat to our country, lives are at stake, we know the information could be extracted that can save those lives and that enhanced interrogation is the only way to get it. That's a horrible position to have to state, and I'm not proud of it, but I believe that in the greater good, you can make that case. So again, Olson here is uses the words, you know, lesser of evils, greater good. Um, hands down, consequentialism, utilitarianism. So then... After this, uh, Moeller is like, oh, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I, I'm a little bit disturbed because I feel like, well, then can't you end up justifying everything? And uh, Olson asks him a question. He says, well, let me ask you, do you think that waterboarding is bad, but it doesn't kill? And Moeller kind of chews this over and he's like, yeah, I mean... I guess, I mean, like, killing is really the worst thing that you can do, right? So if we justify killing and we know that killing is right uh, or can be right, then how do I not justify these things? And, and they get into this, in their minds, murky territory. And, and I get that because I, I was there for sure. And um, it, was, it was actually this sort of thinking which made me realize, hey, look, I've, I've got to make a choice. I got, I've got to choose either... Killing is bad, um, or a lot of things can be justifiable. And so, one of the uh, one of the the situations, the the clincher for me was when I realized, okay, I love old World War II movies, Nazi Germany. Um, I would kill a Nazi in a heartbeat to to um, just because Nazis were terrible; they were killing lots of people. I'd kill a Nazi in a heartbeat to save people. Yet, the place that I get my haircut, it's right next to a Five Guys, and on the other side of it is a Planned Parenthood. And you'd see people protesting, and you'd see women who were walking in who I know were going to get abortions. If abortion is the modern-day Holocaust, there's a, quote, Nazi doctor in that abortion clinic, as I speak, getting ready to murder. And I would never justify somebody going and bombing that clinic or killing that doctor. But I'd kill a Nazi in a heartbeat to save the life of a Jew or whoever else they're going to kill. There's, there's some major dissonance there. And I, I have yet to hear anything that's even close to convincing about the distinction between those two things. Because if abortion is the modern-day Holocaust, then I've got a Nazi right next to me when I, uh, when I am getting my hair cut and I don't do anything about it. So either killing the German and killing the, uh, the um, abortion doctor are wrong or they're both right. And really, I should probably go and kill some abortion doctors to defend life. So I recognize, for me, it was more ludicrous to justify bombing an abortion clinic um, than it was to say, you know what, I shouldn't kill the Nazi or the abortion doctor. Um, because 
anything in between those two options is inconsistent moral application. It's um, it's hypocrisy. It's failing to. It's refusing to acknowledge um, the logical conclusions of your system. And that's that's where Moeller and Olson are right here. Moeller is more wrestling through it. He's like, ah, yeah, I, I feel like you can justify everything, but we know that it's okay to to kill because of just war. So, I guess you're right, Olson. I guess you know. And um, they're really wrestling with that. Olson's kind of come to his conclusion. Moeller still vacillates a little bit, um, but that's the type of thing that um, that you really need to to sift through to create this this dissonance that's going to get you to land where you need to land. Either you land with Olson and say, yeah, we can pretty much justify anything, um, really, if, if we can find a good that is big enough uh, to, to negate the evil of the act that I'm going to do. Or you come down on the side of, of nonviolence. Um, so there's, there's another quote that I like that, um, that Olson pulled out once or twice in, in his book that I think summarizes maybe Olson's um, ideology here. And it was a quote from Nathan Hale, which Nathan Hale is the guy who was, was caught for being a spy. And, you know, he said my own, something to the extent of, like, I just wish that I had more than one life to give for my country, right? Well, uh, Olson pulls out another quote from Hale um, that Hale used to justify his spying because apparently – Spying used to be just like really looked down on, like oh that's deception and you know that's that's not honorable. So Nathan Hale, before he made his decision to be a spy, to justify his being a spy, made this statement: "Quote, every kind of service necessary to the public good becomes honorable by being necessary." End quote. So in Olson's mind, because. Uh, espionage, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, maybe the fornication, I don't, I don't know where he lands on that, um, uh, procuring prostitutes, embezzling, like what, whatever, all these things. Um, if they're necessary to the public good, which I guess is good for the greatest number of people, uh, I, I don't know, but because if an action is necessary to that good of the people, then it becomes honorable because it's necessary. From a Christian moral perspective, that's messed up. Um, because Olson is choosing to define good as in my physical well-being at this moment, or uh, even economic freedom. So there, there's a, a point in, in Olson's book where he says that economics, or he agrees with the, this idea that economics is national security. I forget which president... Um, kind of said that and used it as a justification um, for, for war or violence. But Olson, as far as I could tell, agrees with that. Economics is national security. So now we're talking about killing people, lying to people for the, the good, right? Because it's, it's necessary for the good. And what makes something good? Well, economics is national security. So I can kill and lie in the name of economics because that's a public good. That's a security measure. To, uh, to maintain my economic standing and well-being, which ironically, we disagree with when, uh, you know, Japan bombed us because we messed with their economics through sanctions. 
So is economics, uh, you know, a call to war if we mess with somebody's economics? Is it, um, does it justify doing evil things? Um, if so, does that work both ways? Or is that only if it's, if it harms the United States, does it justify our immoral actions? Because our economics is a greater good. So I, I think there's enough there for you to see the just moral issues, the just wasteland that is that that moral reasoning. It's it's consequentialist. It's utilitarian. No matter how you want to dress it up, um, and yeah, I, I think there's plenty there for you to to sift through that. But I do want to to leave with with two things. I'll leave with um, a more practical, pragmatic. Um, realism check and then we'll end with a uh, christian kingdom realism check so one of uh, the first thing you know practically speaking olson makes a big assumption uh, he makes a lot of big assumptions but one of the big assumptions is that um the the government is out to protect our good um and that that they do that well um yet there are so many things, and, and Olson even rec- uh, brings up one thing that I, I hadn't heard of before, uh, HT lingual, which is when the government for like 20 years or something was basically opening people's mail. Um, but, you know, on top of HT lingual, all of the other things that the, the government has done in the intelligence sector, there were the Pentagon Papers that showed we fabricated, um, you know, the the reason that we got into war with with Vietnam, like we made that up so we could go to war with them. Uh, we had Cointelpro when the government was spying on everyday citizens, like feminist groups, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. trying to get him to commit suicide, sending him things in the mail, um, getting liberal professors. Um, fabricating stories of um, infidelity and breaking up marriages of liberal professors who were part of like anti-war groups, non-violent anti-war groups, and all kinds of terrible things that that are uncovered in Cointelpro. WikiLeaks, uh, talking about how we're harming civilians in in our wars. Um, Snowden, what the things that Snowden released about how the government like basically has all of our emails and phone records and things. I mean, it the the amount of evil that our government does, the the um, the police state that it is, it's it's insane. But Olson has this idea that the government is is um, like a father, like like a good father. It's almost like this um, surrogate father for us. It's almost like like a god, like a second god, um, which justifies the evils that we do. And which wants to take care of us? Like, it, I don't know. It's it. It just doesn't sit well with me. Um, knowing what I know about who our government is and, and our history. I mean, the CIA and the the assassinations that they're they're doing in all of these other countries, the the coups that they're um, they're doing, the the um, the tyrants that they're installing in Iran and Cuba and who knows where else. Just all of our international interactions. I mean. There's so much gross, wicked stuff going on externally as well as internally. And so for me to trust Olson and, and his department and, his, and government institutions that they're making huge moral decisions that compromise objective morality, but then if I was going to have anybody compromise objective morality to have them do it, there's no way. 
there's no way that I am going to to put my name on that and and put my name behind that as you know these people I trust to make moral compromises for me um, because they care about my well-being. I just history tells us the opposite of that. And that leads into not only so that's that's more of a practical side of things like history shows us that this just is illegitimate, but as a Christian it's it's a million times more illegitimate that um, for my economic interest, installing a tyrant in Iran and Cuba is good. We can overthrow their leaders. We can assassinate people. We can install somebody who we train to torture and make people disappear who are political enemies like because that's good for us. How as a Christian does that make sense? Okay, maybe, maybe what we did in Iran and Cuba and South America Maybe that was good for me. Maybe that was good for citizens of the United States. Maybe economically that was great. Um, I don't know. Let's assume that it was. For me as a Christian, does that justify it? Like when, when Olson defines what is good, he is defining what is good for American citizens because he's protecting American citizens. How is that even a, a Christian perspective? that I am going to do what is good for the people on my borders at the expense of people uh, just because they're, they're across the ocean, they're, they're behind some other arbitrary borders. It's, it's not a Christian thing. It just isn't Christian. I mean, I don't think any of it is. The, the moral justifications, the, the killing, the lying, all that stuff, I don't, I don't think you can have moral justifications for that. But what's just disgustingly unchristian is our willingness to sacrifice and objectify um, non-Americans. That is not a, a kingdom mindset because uh, if you're a Christian, we are all in the same big K kingdom, but it seems to me that Olson and nationalists and patriots um, are willing to sacrifice brothers and sisters, anyone, but especially brothers and sisters in the big K kingdom for their uh, idols and little K kingdoms. But don't take my word for it. Check out the, uh, the interview with Olson. Um, check out Olson's book, Fair Play. It really is a, a good book that gives you insight into things. Even if you're going to disagree with it, it um, you know, I don't want to straw man it. And so go check it out for yourself. That's all for now. So peace. And because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it. podcast is a part of the Kingdom Outpost Network. Please check out the links below to find other great podcasts and content related to nonviolence and kingdom living.